listening to the Citizens Podcast from Citizens Church in Birmingham, Alabama. This, the book of James, we've kind of been talking through faith and works, or faith that works is kind of in the title of this sermon series. And I feel like this is a bit of a zoom in on that premise, right? We're specifically talking about faith and works in this passage. So my goal and my hope for us today is that we get to see um, this big idea that faith and works are tied close together and are inseparable. Uh, a lot of us like to a lot of people like to think that they are separate, but they're not. They're, they're tied very close together, and that's the point that James is making. So the first thing I want to do is I want to go through um, verse 14. James asks a question. So let's read verse 14 again together. We just read it. Let's read it again together. It says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? So this question James poses is, can this type of faith, if someone says he has faith, but the works aren't there, can that save you? So this question of what is saving faith, what kind of faith can save us from our sin, is the question that James is going to follow this with. And he's going to kind of dive a little deeper with some examples. I kind of try to think of some, but I think James just gives us really good examples throughout the book. Um, it's kind of his thing. So let's look at verse 15 through 17. So this would be uh, what I'm calling the profession of faith. Uh, can profession of faith or professing that Jesus is king, can that profession save you, right? Can you just saying that save you? Look what it says in 15 through 17. It says, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking nothing in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm, and be filled without giving them the things they need for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, it does not, if it does not have works, is dead. This is... Uh, the equivalent, if you would, of the sinner's prayer, right? Of someone saying, I want to be saved. And then a preacher or a teacher saying, say these words and you can be saved. And the re- reason I say that is look what he says. He, he kind of he lays out the situation within the church of someone coming to you and going, I'm hungry. I need clothes. And you profess, you don't just ignore them and walk away. Instead, you say, oh, be warm, be filled, go in peace, Right? You're giving them words, but not giving them anything else. You're not giving, meeting them with their true needs. And James says, so it is with faith. Right? If, you, if you claim to have Jesus, you claim Jesus is king, but there are no works to back this up, then your faith is dead. That's scary, right? Because a lot of people would have professed Jesus as king in a prayer one time when they were a child or maybe they were an adult, and then, then no works followed after that. It was, it was merely coming from their mouths, lip service, and there was nothing else that followed it. And James would say, well, your faith is dead. It's not real. It won't save you. Let's look at another type of faith. Um, verse 19, you believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe this and shudder. So he lays out another type of fake faith or another type of faith that won't save you, and that is belief in God. Who knows anyone who's, who would say, I'm spiritual? Some of you may even say this, but who would say, I'm a spiritual person. I believe in God. I pray to God. But they don't actually believe in Jesus. That's pretty common, right? A lot of people would fall into that camp. A lot of religions would fall into that camp of people who would believe in God, pray to God, be spiritual. But that he equates that type of faith here with demons, which is a, a bold statement. Um, clearly not going to save you if you just believe in God. And you say, I believe in Jesus, or I believe in God, and I put my, my uh, you don't put your faith in Jesus, but you believe in him and profess that, right? So 
following out of this, um, I want to answer, try to answer the question, if these two ways of faith are kind of fake faith or ways that we see are not um, going to save us, what is saving faith and how do we obtain it? Because that's the real question when it comes to faith. There's lots of types of faith and everyone is created to have faith. Faith is not something uniquely Christian. Faith is uniquely human. All humans have faith. And we see here that maybe even demons have some type of faith. Um, what kind of faith can save us is the question. Look at Romans. We're going to go into Romans and just briefly look here. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. What are the two things he's calling us to do here? Believe in your heart, confess with your mouth. This is where faith that can save you happens. Paul lays out for us this idea of believing something in your heart. And we talk a lot about the heart here at this church at Citizens. We talk a lot about God, our heart and God, you know, his work in our heart. Here, Paul says, believe in your heart. What does this mean? This is not talking about your actual heart, right? It's just a muscle. But the premise is the same. Your, your heart is a muscle that pumps blood to the rest of your body, right? Your muscle, your arms, your legs, the work that you do could not be done without your heart. The same is true of you spiritually. Your heart is who you really are. It's the core of who you are. It's what makes you uniquely you. Your passions, your desires, all the things that make you you, that's your heart. And Paul says, you have to believe that Jesus died on the cross and was raised three days later in your heart. So the core of you must believe this. And notice this, it doesn't just stop there, right? So even Paul is equating work and faith here, because look what he says. What do you do right after that? Confess with your mouth. That's an action. That's a work, right? This is faith never leaves us alone. Faith always produces something, right? God, when God changes your heart and takes your heart of stone and gives you a heart of flesh, something happens every time. What happens? Confession and works follow, okay? That, which brings us into this idea of work. So if faith if belief and confession in Jesus as Lord and Savior, which is the gospel, produces work in us, the next question is, what is that work? And the Bible clearly lays out that this work is actually worship. That God wants to produce work in your life that is worship to Jesus. Yes. This work is not something you would do in vain. It's something that would have eternal ramifications and eternal rewards. Okay, so I want to I take a few minutes and look at work and kind of help redeem this for some of us because I feel like so many of us are screwed up when it comes to work. Some of us have just these crazy ideas about what work is, and much of it is maybe it's your occupation. That's just a small portion of your work that God is doing in your life. Okay, so let's get into this. Um, faith in Jesus always produces worshipful work. Work must be a response to the faith that you have in Jesus. Let's look at Abraham and Rahab, because these are the examples he gives for this, and I think they're great. A um, little bit of a backstory on Abraham and Rahab, if you don't know. Just a quick little, little dive. Abraham uh, was 
a man who was born in Ur, which is a town that's like modern-day Iraq. God called him out of that town and said, I want you to uh, make a, I want you to, to leave your town, leave your family, take your, you know, your immediate family and move. And I want to make a people through you. I want to give you children, which he had none of. And he would be the father of the Israelites. Abraham listened to God, believed him, and acted after, right? He had faith in God, and then his works followed. Rahab, in the same way, in the same way, was a, she was a prostitute in Jericho. Now, Jericho was a town which was in the way. The Israelites were moving out of Egypt to the Promised Land, and Jericho stood in between them and the Promised Land. It was one of the cities they had to conquer. Uh, and Rahab was a prostitute in that town. Joshua, the leader of um, the Israelites, sent two spies to Jericho. And then he said, hey, scout it out. See what's up. Come back and report. We'll make a plan. While the spies were there, the king of Jericho got word that they were there and said, hey, find them, kill them, right? Rahab had heard about God and the work that he did, had heard about who God was and his faithfulness to his people and the power of God and believed in God. And out of her belief, she acted and she actually sheltered these two men and protected them from the soldiers and gave them safe passage out. And Rahab was spared because of this. And her faith, her belief in God actually worked. Things happened after that, right? It was active. Let's look at verse 22 that shows us this. It says, you see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. So faith is not something that is stagnant. Faith is not something that stays where it is. Faith is something that is always active. It's always producing, right? And, he's, and James tells us that Abraham and Rahab's faith was both active along with his works. Cool. Okay. So the big question for me in all this is then to kind of take a step back and go, okay, if I have faith in Jesus, I put my trust in Jesus, that's going to produce work in me. It's going to produce good works, works that are honoring to the Lord, works that are even worship to God. How do I do that? How can I worship God with my work? And I want to clarify work for just a second, because I feel like this is where we get a little off. Work is anything that you do that produces something. Any action you do that produces something. Any effort you push forward that produces something, right? This could be, uh, obviously, your occupation is work, right? That's one way that we work. Your relationships are work. Children are work. Being a parent is work. Being a spouse is work. Serving is work. Singing is work. Your whole life is full of work. In fact, we were created to work. We see in the garden that God created Adam and Eve perfectly, and they worked perfectly, right? Eventually, that became different after the fall, and we experience that now in work, in our toil, and our strife, when we try to do things, and they don't work out. But Work is all these things in your life. I want to frame out this idea that work is all these things in your life that you are doing. And God says, I've saved you, and I want to produce worshipful work in your life. I don't want just your job, I don't want just your singing on church and your being a part of the church to be the only way you worship God. That is a way you worship God, but primarily we worship God throughout our lives by the way that we work. The way we work at our jobs, the way we work at our home, right? All sorts of ways to worship God. Let's look at Colossians 3.23 and 24. This will show us how we can worship Jesus with our work. 
It says, whatever you do, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to stop and just say some of y'all need to stop working for everybody else. We put a ton of effort, a ton of effort and time working for the approval of other people, working for the benefit of other people, or working for the benefit of yourself, or working for only your family. This says, whatever you do, this would mean anything you do. Not just if you love your job, work heartily. If you don't like your job, you're to work heartily. Not only if you're a parent and it's working and they're obedient, work heartily. Nope. Even when they're disobedient and it's tough, still work heartily. Right? This is what God is calling us to do. This is how you worship Jesus with your work. Whatever you do, work heartily. Heartily is kind of conveying this idea of working with, your, with all your breath and your soul. Right? So this is like be passionate, take care, and work hard. Like genuinely try and care about all your work that you do. Now, this is like flies in the face a bit because I feel like we only do this when we are fired up about something or passionate about something. That's when we kind of dive in and go, oh, I can like give all myself to this thing, to this portion of this work. But God is saying, whatever you do, I want you to work hard. Why? Why? Because you're not doing it for yourself. You're working unto the Lord and you will receive an inheritance as your reward, you're serving the Lord Jesus Christ. Your work is worship to Jesus. He has redeemed you. He has saved you and given you faith. And from that faith in Christ comes worshipful work. Now, how do we apply all these things? How can we apply worshipful? How can we take worshipful work and actually do that in our life? Because I feel like uh, I've experienced this where you go, okay, it's easy to worship God in areas where I am thriving. It is very difficult to worship God in areas where I'm failing, right? Uh, especially when it comes to work, especially the times when we think, okay, I can do this, and you set out and you try to do it, and it doesn't work. Uh, it's very difficult at those times to go, okay, God, how can I worship you here? Um, so let's try to apply this. The first thing, how do you apply this? If you're not a believer, the first way to apply this is to put your faith and trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. The whole, all the work stuff will come later. God wants to change your heart first, and from your heart, everything else flows, right? So if you're not a believer, your application today is, I need Jesus, and I'm putting my faith and trust in him to save me, okay? If you are a believer, this is the key. This is, this is how practically we can grab a hold of this and go, okay, well, how can we move forward Let's look at this. Thankfulness is the key that unlocks the door to a life full of worshipful work. Thankfulness, introducing another term here, thankfulness is the key that unlocks the door to a life full of worshipful work. I want us to look at one last passage as we kind of close this out. Colossians 3, 17. Whatever you do, this kind of sounds similar because we were just in Colossians. Whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This, whatever you do, same thing. All the things you do. It's not just about your job, not just about your family, but all the things you do. Everything you do, give thanks to the Lord Jesus. Now, what this doesn't mean is we just give thanks for all the things we have. Because I think this is where we tend to go with this. We tend to go, okay, 
you know, I'm going to be thankful. I got to thank God for my home and for my children, their blessing. I got to thank God for uh, my job and what he's provided for me. So we start running through the list of all the things we can be thankful for. We should be thankful for those things, but that's not what this says. This says, be thankful to God. Let's read it. Can you put it back up there? Whatever you do in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. How do we do that? That's worship. Doing things in Jesus' name is worship. Giving thanks to God the Father through him. Who's him? Jesus. Through means on account of or because of. We are to give thanks to God on account of what Jesus has done on the cross. This is where we start. So when you come to life and you go, hey, work is not good. This part of my work is not good. The first place you are to go is to be thankful for what Jesus has done on the cross. Right? Why is that? Why, why do we go there first? Because all those other things we can be thankful for can fall away. You are not guaranteed a good job. We can be thankful for a good job. But when that good job fails, where does your thankfulness go? If it was on that good job, it goes down. Typically, you, that depression, anxiety, all the stress, that kind of stuff, right? If your thankfulness is in Jesus, and you are also thankful for your job, when that job goes away, your thankfulness goes, I have Jesus. I guarantee Jesus, right? We're thankful for our health, aren't we? We're thankful that we're healthy. But what about when that leaves? Are we guaranteed our health? No. We should be thankful to Jesus for the cross. That's where it, that's where it starts. What about your children? Be thankful for your children. Absolutely. What if your children leave? What if your children are gone? What if that relationship is estranged? What then? Thankful to Jesus for the cross. What about your wealth, your possessions? We're thankful to God for those things. They're amazing. They're great. Thank you, God, for giving us a home. Thank you, God, for giving us a job. But those things can also come and go, right? Anybody ever spent money? All of it. Okay, it all gets spent somehow. Um, it all comes and goes. And if your thankfulness is on building those things, then when they leave, that's when you regress, right? Your thankfulness needs to start at the cross. We teach and preach this all the time. Our discipleship is all about centering on the gospel, which is centering your life on Jesus, the cross of Christ. This is what it's about. This is why. Because all these other things are temporary. And we're not guaranteed them. They can just come and go as quick as you. I mean, we a year ago would not have thought that Talia would have had breast cancer. Never would have thought that would have happened. And it happened in a moment. It wasn't something that slowly, you know, we thought, well, maybe not no, happened quickly. And it was there and we had to do something about it. So, you know, all these things that we put our trust and our faith in, aside from Christ, come and go. So we are to be a people who are always thankful to Jesus for the cross. That's where we go first. And I have some good news. Um, we are created to work. Work is something that is enjoyable for some of us, and some of us maybe not so much. But when Jesus redeems us, when Jesus saves us and redeems our bodies, we will work perfectly. Heaven, we're not going to be sitting on our hands singing kumbaya to one another and to Jesus. That's not what it's going to be. It's going to be great 
worshipful work. All the things that you love to do, the work that you love to do that's fulfilling, it's going to be way better there. There won't be any toil, no strife, no resistance in our relationships with one another and with Jesus. It's going to be perfect. It's going to be a place of all that perfect harmony, and we will work, and we will love it. That's the reward. So in Colossians, when he says, work heartily as to the Lord, as you're working for your inheritance, that's it. That's it. So you know when you have a bad day with your kids, that's not the end. Right? You know when you have a terrible day at work and you want to quit, that's not the end. How can you worship Jesus in your work? Focus on Christ. Work unto the Lord. Stop working for other people. Stop working for yourself and work unto the Lord. You've been listening to the Citizens Church Podcast. Special thanks to Murphy DX who recorded our theme music. If you'd like to learn more about Citizens Church in Birmingham, Alabama, you can visit us on our website at citizensbhm.com or on the usual suspects, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.